Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Rank podcast. My name is Dr. Steven Kruger, and I'm here to give you advice for a successful residency match. Today's guest has absolutely nothing to do with medicine, but I think he can help residency applicants in a big way. So I'd like to introduce my very own brother, Dave Kruger, who has graciously agreed to share some tips that he's picked up throughout his career in sports, which is just as competitive, if not more competitive than matching into residency. So welcome, Dave, and thanks so much for being here. Thanks. It is. I, I like how you say it's gracious of me to do. I'm not doing anything else. I'm quarantined at home, right? But I uh, <laughs> hear you. I hear you. How is my sweet niece doing down there? Oh, she she's nine months old today. And one of the best silver linings of this work from home period over the last couple months is being able to spend more time with her and watch her grow. She's right on the verge of crawling, and I'm. Um, trying hard to get her first word to be dada instead of mama. But I got this feeling that her mom is going to win out on that battle. Well, I got to say, I'm very jealous. I miss her so much. I can't wait to get back down to Houston to see her. She's so big since the last time I've been down there. So thanks so much for doing this today. Um, I, w- I felt like it would make the most sense to have you just start by giving us your, your background and telling us all about you. Sure. So you mentioned competitive. I think maybe that's how I can be relatable to your audience a little bit today. So I grew up in Boston. And when I was in college, I actually started out thinking I was going to go pre-med. Really? Uh, I, 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 oh, you didn't know that, huh? I don't think I knew that. It. I took a couple of biology related classes freshman year to start on that track and it, it, it didn't last. It just didn't click with me. So I really wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do the first few years of college. And my interests were in sports. I, I think a lot of people's interests are are in sports. A lot of people are interested and a lot of people watch sports. So that's a pretty natural thing. I'm sure many of your listeners are into sports as well. And and those that aren't could probably understand how popular they are. Right. So as a, as a college student, that was just something I was gravitated towards anyway. And my approach has always been to stick to things that interest me, and, and that's where it began. Now, as you mentioned, the competitive side of it, as I got towards towards graduation, you can imagine how competitive it is if you think about the four major sports leagues. And, of course, there's some other fringe sports out there. But just look at the four major sports leagues, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. That's around 30 teams a league. That's 120 teams only spread out throughout the country. That also doesn't mean that every one of those teams are hiring in a given year. So my background, I was, I was lucky in the sense that I got on with the New England Patriots, who had just come off winning three Super Bowls by the time I started full-time with them. We can get into it later, but I did 
do some internships along the way in college. And I actually interned with the Patriots. You're going to laugh and cringe, but unpaid for two years. Med students know a thing or two about unpaid internships. Okay. All right. So I did that to put myself in position for that first job. And of course, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it later on. But the background was I started with the New England Patriots on the business side. That's my background. I'm on the business side of sports. So I interned those two years while I was in school. Got on with the New England Patriots and our corporate partnerships division. We also uh, represented the New England Revolution Major League Soccer team. So that was a, a pretty good first role because the Patriots, like I said, were winning Super Bowls in the Revolution. Even in Boston, were still pretty new and people, some people hadn't even heard of them. From there, I moved to Houston. I spent 09, 10, and 11 with the Houston Rockets. Then I went to the Philadelphia Eagles. From there, I was working out of a Manhattan office for a sports agency. And most recently, I rejoined the Houston Rockets. All in, that's 17 seasons with some of the most prestigious franchises in sports. Big markets, Philly, New York City, Houston, Boston, very successful uh, teams uh, that do a lot of good in the community as well. They're really model franchises, and I've been lucky to have have that experience with those. So my background is is that. And my role right now, by way of introduction, is to build new corporate partnerships, to go out and find businesses that want to reach our fans in unique ways. The Rockets make things cool, and the brands lean on us to help them connect with our fans. Does that, does that make sense? It does. It does. And I love hearing this every time you tell it because, you know, you've heard me tell people before and I do, I tell people all the time, Dave has one of the coolest jobs in the world. I really believe that. I mean, it's so much creativity involved, but it does sound high stakes. I mean, I hear that in, in all the experiences you've had. That's nice of you to say. (laughs) Um, I feel, I feel like, have you ever heard the saying, you never want to be the smartest person in the room? <laughs> I, th- I think I have heard that. I feel like on this podcast here, I'm among uh, people who are, are a lot smarter than I am. So yes, uh, uh, thanks for saying it. It's a cool job. It's a lot of fun. Um, but like you said before, it is very competitive to get into, the, uh, like I say, high stakes. It's, it's definitely more entertainment than life or death, like often often your field could be, but there's just a lot of interest in it. And yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I hope that some of the things that I've learned along the way and to be able to get some of these competitive jobs w- w- will help as your audience is looking to, to match. Right. So that's, that's great. So let's get, let's get more into that because I want to, you know, squeeze as much out of you as I can during this, this interview. So Tell us a little bit more about how you got started in your field. Sure. So you've heard that also the phrase, it's not what you know, but who you know. And that is so true in in the sports industry as well. So networking for us is crucial. Tell me, is that the same on your side too? Is networking a big, big part of matching? 
Definitely. It's definitely, it's a huge part of matching into residency. Um, you know, I feel like getting to know different attending physicians and other residents at different programs that I did away rotations at or during conferences or during interviews was a huge advantage for me. And that had long lasting benefits even beyond the match process. So uh, definitely would love to hear anything you have to say from your perspective about networking. I think that networking is so important, not even in your own field or line of work or where you want to go, but even outside of it too. You, you never know what it could lead to when you're out and about and meeting somebody. And I've heard it said before that nothing happens when you're sitting on your couch. Let's think about that for a second. Along the way, throughout my different interests, whether it was high school, whether it was college, leading up to that first job was just trying out different things and joining different groups and, and volunteering here and there and just building the network through being active. I think especially just starting out being like that, taking that approach, it is, is crucial. Now I have a nine month old daughter. I don't have as much time to be out and about at events or conferences, uh, of course, conferences for work. Yes, I still do that. But some of the extra stuff, it's a little more difficult now. And I'm glad that I took the time when I was younger to network as much as I could. So can you give me a specific example of how that kind of networking mentality, even if it was at, you know, in high school or college or whenever it started, how it actually helped you get into the, the first job? Absolutely. I'll give you the example of how it led to a job at the New England Patriots. When I was in high school, I attended a program. It's called American Legion Boys State. At the time, I thought I was attending it, so it looked good on my college resume, right? On my application for college. That's why I went. And of course, once I attended, I learned a lot and grew as a person and all that, but I made a contact there. I made a friend. He happened to be at Boston College at the time. It was one of the counselors. That led to a mentorship then where he helped me with my transition to Boston College. Now, when I graduated from college, guess who worked at the New England Patriots? That guy. So that is how I got that first internship. Now, looking back, if you ever told me that going to this program as a junior in high school would lead to a job at the New England Patriots. You, that's what you said. You can't know, but just being active, getting out, meeting people. That's a, that, that is an example of how that led to my first job. That's great to hear. And it's a perfect example. My question, my follow-up question to that is, was it easy to, to ask for that kind of help in that mentoring relationship you had? I mean, was it natural? It sounds like you were pretty friendly and it, it didn't seem awkward. I think med students have a, a tough time sometimes with that, is asking for the help. Yeah, I think with, again, 17, we call them seasons instead of years when you work in sports. With 17 seasons of experience now, I think I would answer that question with a little more perspective than I would if I was a you know, senior in high school or senior in college. Because now I'm more on the side of helping than looking for the help. So when it comes to 
leaning on mentors or when it comes to networking with somebody that you think can help you get to where you want to go, the philosophy I would encourage your listeners to take and the advice I would give is to instead make it about them. What do you mean by that? Well, think of it as two different ways you could send a cold email. Let's say somebody, somebody you've never met before. Okay. You could reach out and say, hello, my name is so-and-so and I've read about all the things you've done and I would really love it if I could talk to you for a little bit and get some advice. That to me isn't as impactful a way to establish a relationship with that person as if you reached out to them with something relevant to them, something useful to them, something smart. An example would be if you reached out to that person with an article about something that's relevant to their business. I'm saying business and and from my side, maybe I'll back up for a sec. I'll say this about, about establishing relationships with people that could help you. Try to be helpful to them and try to make it easy for them to not only respond, but to give you their time. And I think that by reaching out to somebody with maybe a relevant piece of information that could help them in their research or help them in their business, instead of asking for advice, asking to interview them, essentially it's the same thing. You get a conversation where you get to learn something and get to know them a little bit, right? But Mm -hmm. maybe they don't look at it as much like they're spending their time helping you. People like to talk about themselves. Just little, little things like that. Approach it by thinking what's in it for them and make it easier for them. I, I know I'm not very high up on the totem pole, at least yet, right? Oftentimes I reach out to CEOs of companies, CFOs of companies for my work. I'm not that high up on the totem pole, but I am extremely busy. And when a graduating senior reaches out to me, I don't always have time to respond right away. Sometimes I forget. I try to, right? But sometimes it works out like that. Know that. Know that when you're reaching out to somebody or when you're looking to establish a relationship with somebody that is in a position that can help bring you along, they have a million other things that that they are doing. Mentoring and helping you is so far down on what's important to them and what's important to their boss, right? They have a job to do. They have uh, goals to hit. They have a, in, in my, my side, they have business objectives to hit that they have, they are focused on all that stuff. And if you can, if you don't respond, if you don't get a response right away, think of it like that. That's normal. It's not rude for them. Just politely follow up in a week or so. Right that kind of thing. Make it easy for them. If they don't respond right away, don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great advice for basically sending cold emails to uh, different, you know, important people. For med- medical students, they're sending emails all the time to attending physicians at different academic institutions that they may want to train at, whether it's about a research project they're interested in, basically just trying to show their interest. So that's really good advice for that situation. I guess my next question is what about the in-person networking? You know, 
how do you actually work up the courage to go up to somebody at a conference, for example, and introduce yourself? What do you say? You know, I think people are just so afraid of even taking that step. Any, any light that you could shed on that? Networking at conferences is, I think there are some hacks around that that, that might help. I, I can't necessarily speak to the courage to do it. I think that's something that you just got to, you just got to get over. Um, I've been to a bunch of conferences for work too. And what I found is a little research ahead of time to know what the presenters look like. Are you at conferences a lot where you are watching, say, a panel of people discuss a topic? Yes, absolutely. Usually it's panel type discussions or maybe it's, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minute presentations, a whole slate of those throughout the day. And of course, you'd have that agenda ahead of time and know who's going to be speaking. Yeah. And those people are the influential people. Those are the people that you want to network with, right? Of course. These are the big names in dermatology, for example, who could very easily pick up a phone and, you know, reach out to a residency program to make sure that they give you a second look on your application. Right. So especially if you know that list of presenters beforehand, preparation is key then to, to some important networking. You may only have one shot to get to that person. And like you said about courage, if you feel prepared, if you know who your, your target is, right, you, you know who you want to meet. And you have, say, two minutes at some point in the conference to get in front of that person. Again, if you have something smart or something useful to that person to say, they'll be more likely to remember you, I think, when you're in that setting. And there's hundreds of people around you, too. Uh, uh, Of course, you want to try to follow up afterwards and reference that useful thing that you said, that thing that made you stand out. And I have a tip or two to make that a little bit easier. I would say... Oftentimes what I see at conferences is after the panel, those speakers matriculate down the stage and they're off to the side of the stage. The next panel might be starting. There may be a break. There's other things going on as the conference transitions. But what you find is a line forms in front of that speaker right after they're up on stage. Right. We see the same thing happen at a medical conference. So here's what I do before that panel. They're either in the back of the room or they're off to the side. Get at them then. Oftentimes, there's nobody around them before they start. You don't want to infringe, and if they're just about to go on stage, that's not the best time. Oftentimes, these speakers are flying in just for that panel and then flying out. So don't wait. Take advantage of that time while they're there, but go before the panel starts. That's one piece of advice. The other one is skip the next panel and go out into the lobby. Because at some point, once the line dies down, they're going to have to leave. I found that most of the time, those people aren't just hanging out to watch the next panel. They're off to their, they're, they're, they're so important, right? They're off to their next thing. So I found that I've done my best networking in the lobby of conferences. I'll skip the first, it's not even skip the whole next session. It's just the first few minutes of it. But you want that, that time with that influential person, with that person that you want to network with, without a million people around you and without them looking over your shoulder, like, all right, what's my exit strategy? You want their attention. You might only have two minutes or so. And if you can do that, say you get them in the lobby after their panel and you have something useful to say, or, or you make a comment about 
something they've done in the field or research that they've done or something like that that shows that you have done your research, you have done your homework. That's all you need. You've made your impression. Ask them if it's okay if you follow up with them on LinkedIn or an email or something like that. And, and the, the spark is ignited. Honestly, that's great advice for med students at these conferences because we find ourselves in almost the exact situations you're describing. I'll tell you, for me, what I've done is basically just go up to the person and introduce myself and say, I just wanted to say hello and thank you for that talk. But I think you're basically saying that's, that's not quite enough. So it sounds like you do kind of need to have something to, to give them. And I'd love to hear more examples of that. Like, you know, what, what have you told people or what, you know, obviously we're making comparisons, you know, comparing apples and oranges with two different fields a little bit, but I do think this can be helpful. What kinds of things do you approach people with? I think the key with all of this is just to make yourself stand out. And for you to say, or to take it as I'm saying, that's not enough. That's, that's not what I wanted to sound like, or what I'm, what I really meant by it, because even just going up to the speaker and introducing yourself, like you say, let's say there are 10 people that do that after the panel. Well, so how many people at the conference, let's say there's 300, 10 people introduce themselves after you're starting to narrow yourself down and make yourself stand out. And that's the key to all of this stuff is how are you different than the hundreds or thousands of other people that are applying? And just introducing yourself is good. If there's something else that makes you stand out that you can say, right? Like if it's a note about some work that they've done, or maybe you have a mutual connection, look them up on LinkedIn. I saw that you know my professor from this or that. And if that rings a bell with them, then golden, right? If they say, you had so-and-so as a professor, he was my roommate in college. All of a sudden, you're in. But what's the worst case scenario? They look at you with blank eyes and say, oh, no, I, I don't know who that is. You know how sometimes people accept connections on LinkedIn without really knowing who they are. So if you were going to use that example, it might not go your way. But that's okay. You haven't lost anything. It, if anything, that shows that you've looked them up and done some research before. So anything that you do is going to help you stand out. And the more you can do, I think the, the better off you'll be. But it would be nice if you can get into a situation where they agree to a follow-up at some point. And that's where, that's where you want to make it as easy as possible. Continue to follow up with them. Think that they may not respond right away. And don't take it personal if they don't. Suggest days that work for you so that you don't have to do much back and forth on a time. That's all common sense stuff, I think, but it's important to know, just make it easy for that person because they're so focused on so many other things and don't wait either. That, that follow-up note should come as soon as possible after that chance encounter. If anything, from the seat at the next session of the conference on your phone, it's easy enough to find ways to reach them. A lot of people have their websites listed Right. I mean, even at conferences, they'll list their email at the end of the presentation. I mean, they're very open to, to getting that communication. They're telling us that, that they're open to that. And I think now it's up to, at least in my case, medical students to just reach out and grab what's being offered to them. 
Now, let's say the conference is over, some time has passed, and there isn't a fresh encounter that you can reference when you're trying to touch base with somebody. Maybe it's an old professor, or maybe it's the head of a program who you want to meet, or the head of a program that you're applying to. I think that it's okay to reach out directly, almost like a cold email, again, I'm used to doing this. I'm in sales, in sports. It's part of my personality. So I understand some people might not be as comfortable just reaching out to somebody cold. But going back to that notion that if you send something smart or something useful to them, that should alleviate the the anxiety you have about doing it. Make it about them. You're more likely to get a response. I think it comes off better in their eyes too, that it seems like you're in it for them. And that's why, like I said earlier about approaching it, asking them to interview them instead of asking them for advice. It's all about making it easy for them and make it about them. Another example that I run into a lot from this side is sometimes a graduating senior in my case will reach out and say, I'm looking for a job in sports. Do you have anything available? And this may be somebody that I've already connected with that I had a networking call, phone call, you know, months before or whatever, a lot of times those are set up by mutual connections. They may just reach out, hey, is there anything available at the Houston Rockets? That's not the best way to approach it. I think the better way to approach it, again, in my case, and you can relate this to you guys, but would be, I saw on the website that this position is available. Uh, Can you tell me who the hiring manager is for that position? I could answer that email in two seconds. I don't have to do any work. They already told me what position is available, right? So if they reached out to me and said, do you have any openings at the Rockets? Think about what I would have to do to answer that email. I would have to maybe go to HR, um, check in with other departments. All I would know is my own world, really. I would know if we're hiring anybody in corporate partnerships, but we have a social media team. We have a press relations team. We have the guys that run the scoreboard. We have security. There's so many departments in our building that I don't know if we're hiring, right? So I have to do work to then answer their question and think about what my job is and what I'm paid to do. Helping out this graduating senior is so far down my list and I'm not even that important, right? right? I'm not even that influential. So make it easy for the people. Uh, Make it so they can reply with a one word answer. Even say in the email, Feel free to reply yes or no. Make it easy for them. Make it about them. And, and I think that that will help you get responses and, and, and get their time. Right. Well, once again, Dave, these pieces of advice are perfect. They're so relevant to us in the medical world. So thank you so far. I do want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, but before we leave this topic of networking, uh, is there anything else you want to you know, put out there? Is there any takeaway you want to make sure that that gets across? Again, it just comes back to making yourself stand out. And like I mentioned, not being the smartest person in the room, uh, I'm not the most talented salesperson. Uh, I have a strong work ethic, I, I think, but there's probably people, there's always people that work harder, that are smarter, that all, all that stuff. You can control what you can control. And in general, think of it where if you stay active, good things will happen from a networking standpoint. So that was great. I'm so happy with all of those examples. That was perfect. 
let's switch gears a little bit now. Uh, as I was telling you a little bit offline, med students in, in the situation of applying to residency, they're finding themselves in these extremely high stakes interview situations. And so even after, just to kind of give you a little bit of background again, even after being invited for an interview out of hundreds of applicants, they still may be up against, you know, 30 or more other interviewees for only a few open slots in the end. So typically on a normal residency interview day, there are multiple interviews going on, different stations with numerous faculty members, you know, involved in the program and you really only have about 10 or so minutes to impress that interviewer before moving on to the next station. So I was really hoping you could help listeners by sharing some of the interview techniques that worked well for you over the years. So with all of that said, do you do any ideas come to mind about the interview specifically? Yeah, so that's interesting how you talk about only having 10 minutes to impress somebody and what there's just a bunch of those 10 minute interviews throughout the day is that's how it works yeah i mean they may range even from seven minutes and then some of them will be a little bit longer but it's it's a quick rapid fire in and out of each room uh throughout the day and that's so that you can meet all of the faculty in a program and they can obviously meet all of the interviewees sure so i've been in similar situations uh, i remember the first time i interviewed with the rockets Back in, uh, in 2009, there was a full day of interviews and I was, I should back up. There was first a phone interview. That was kind of the first step. And then they flew me down for a full day of interviews. Actually, hold on. They didn't fly me down. They said that the CEO wanted to hire somebody locally. Uh, and I asked a little more. I kind of pushed on that a little bit. And I found out it was really just because they didn't have a budget to pay to fly somebody in. So I flew myself in. That's probably why I got that job. They said, oh, this guy flew himself in. I guess we have to hire him now. Anyway, there was a full day of interviews then where I met with different people from the department. Uh, and I've had that situation a few other times as well. But there's also more time typically with the hiring manager in my case. So maybe there's some differences there, but it's all about making yourself stand out. Just like we talked about with the conferences. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that, that last beyond the 10 minutes you're in front of somebody. So it, it comes with preparation at the beginning. When you're in a position where you're meeting with people for 10 minutes at a time, do you have the list of those people ahead of time or no? Uh, you don't have much uh, advance notice of that. You may get the schedule even that morning of the interview day, but you do have the all the time beforehand to look up all of the faculty at a program. There's only so many at some of these competitive residencies. So you, you have that option to get to know the faculty you'll be with. Yeah, so that example of having that full-day interview with the Rockets, that was the same situation where I knew the people who worked in the department, so I had, a, I had a sense of who would be sitting across from me at the table. And I hope this isn't new advice, but Google them, look them up on social networks, LinkedIn, get as much information as you, I mean, stock them, right? 
you never know when you could use something in an interview that helps you stand out. And by doing a lot of that research beforehand and preparing like that, it's another way to show how organized you are and, and, and show how professional you are and how you approach these high stakes environments and that you can be counted on. A, a funny story happened when I was interviewing with the Rockets that time. I'll, I'll stick with this example where two of the girls there who eventually became my coworkers when I got the job, but they were not the hiring managers or anything like that. They would be my peers. And they came in to you know, vet me too. That was part of the interview day. And they picked up how I knew things about them because I started asking them some questions where they started to kind of follow their brows a bit and scratch their head a bit and realize that I had done a lot of advanced research on personal stuff. Like for example, I knew where they went to college. I knew where they had worked before. So for example, uh, this, this girl named Tamika used to work at the Memphis Grizzlies before working at the Rockets. Now, when I was in that interview with Tamika, I asked her about her time at the Memphis Grizzlies and how the Grizzlies approach to sponsorships related to the Rockets. It was something about that. It was something about how the Grizzlies compare to the Rockets and how does she like it at the Rockets. That was the question. And her initial reaction was, well, how did you, she didn't tell me that she worked at the Grizzlies, right? That was a way for me to show and not tell. That was a way for me to show how thorough I was that I did that research and I, and I used it. I, I phrased the question in a way that, that helped show that. I didn't ask this question. I didn't ask, how is the culture at the Rockets? I don't know if that's a question you would ask. What's the, what's the culture like at this program? You know, something like that. Instead, I said, Memphis Grizzlies, blah, 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 blah. How does that relate to the Houston Rock? I kind of phrased it in a way that showed that I'd done that research. Does that make sense? It does. And there's a perfect parallel to medicine again here, because again, you can look up this information and I was doing this even late at night, you know, uh, the night before an interview, because often we're flying in just for one day. It's it's a very busy time, the interview season for residency applicants. And there's often not a lot of time in between, but you, it's so imperative. I completely agree with you. And your point about, you know, also researching your future coworkers, that's true of our future co-residents. Oftentimes the website will show you know, where they went to school, where they previously had training. And it's just a breeding ground for more conversation, again, to show, don't tell, like you're saying. Show, don't tell, and make yourself stand out. Those are the two things of interviewing. And it's if you can connect with somebody based on where they went to school, or as you look them up, if they did their residency somewhere that you have a connection to, work that into a question somehow. Show them like that. Well, Tamika then asked me, okay, we figured out that I had uh, Googled her or whatever to figure out, you know, looked her up on LinkedIn to figure out that she worked at the Memphis Grizzlies. The interview paused at that point. Her and Rachel, the two of them were across the table. They said, well, what else did you find out? So here's a point where I actually, I found Tamika's wedding website online too. So I knew that she, I knew that she was getting married in about a month. Now that's a situation where I didn't know, is that appropriate to bring up, you know, but I just read the room. And I had that information. I had that arrow in the quiver, right? It, 
I could use it. I could not in, in this situation came up where she asked me directly, what else did I find out about her? And at that point I kind of laughed and hesitated and said, no, 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 we don't have to go there. And they're like, no, they insisted. And they were kind of laughing. So I was reading the room and I just looked at Tamika and I said, Tamika, I think you're going to make Glenn a very happy man. (laughs) (laughs) And would I do that in another situation? Maybe not, but they ate it up and they were laughing. And I think that was the moment where they, they realized that I'm the guy that they, they want to work with. I mean, that could have gone either way. Right. But it it was a little bit of a risk, but I, I had the research done. I was thorough enough in that. And I had it in my notes to use if I wanted to. And I honestly think those kinds of moments in interviews have, have gotten me jobs in these competitive fields. They've helped me stand out. They've helped me show, not tell, and not sound like cliche answers, right? Yeah, I love that. I want to draw another parallel. Uh, as residency applicants, we're offered a pre-interview dinner the night before uh, where you're just sitting around with residents and you're, you know, it's very much a small talk situation, but you can get some questions answered about the program. This is a perfect example of how you can kind of show, don't tell, like you were saying. But also, I love that idea of reading the room. This is something that, unfortunately, I, I think a lot of med students struggle with is like always trying to, you know, do the right thing and thinking too much, getting in your own head, but just taking a step back and reading the room, feeling like, what's appropriate. And, you know, it it almost helps to kind of relax the situation a bit. And I guarantee it makes people more likable during these interview days. And maybe a different way to look at that too, for some people that might not feel confident in reading a room is not to get too hung up on your on paper resume. Because think of it like, some of the most competitive undergrad universities, right? A a lot of the most competitive schools could fill their entire incoming class with valedictorians and people who got perfect scores on their SATs and that kind of thing. But they don't want to. That's not how a university wants to form their incoming class. And in this case, in my case at least, I'm up against people that have really good credentials. As I've gone to different roles in my career, it gets even more competitive and it becomes way more than just what you've accomplished. It becomes way more in my case than how many millions of dollars in deals I've done. In in your case, it's not just about the work you've done, the research you've done. The board scores. The board scores. At some, at, at some point, there's just so many people that have those scores. What makes you stand out? And by coming in with some of that personal information or, or I love that pre-dinner thing. That's a great opportunity to, to humanize yourself. That, that's really, it's all it's about find a human connection because those people on the other side of, of the table or the desk or, or whatever, the conference table, at the end of the day, you're just looking to connect with them. That's exactly right. We see this all the time that, you know, what's on paper, your resume is what got you the interview. But once you're there, it's a level playing field again. And I really feel like in my own case, interviewing for a competitive specialty, I really, you know, I had 
good board scores, good grades, but I didn't have nearly as much research experience as some of these other applicants. There were things that other people had way above and beyond what I had in certain parts of the application, I'll say. But the interview day, like I said, was a level playing field and it's your chance to show the human side of you and bring you out of that that group and make you stand out. That's right. So let's go back to, you know, your preparation. So how how else do you prepare for an interview day? Sure. So again, the two things are show, don't tell. That's one. And number two is is how you stand out. Print out your notes. Don't handwrite them. Print out your questions. Have a ton of them. I, I want to get to questions in a sec too in preparation for questions, but print them all out so that when you sit in front of that, that person or that group of people and you open up your notebook and they see how professional you are by having your notes printed out versus handwritten. It's, a, it's such a little thing, but if there's, a, if there's 400 people applying, printing out your notes and your questions and showing that when you open how thorough you are and how prepared you are, it's not going to get you into the program, but it's certainly not going to hurt. And if only 100 people out of the 400 that applied did that, it's a, it, you're chipping away, right? You keep, you continue to, just like that conference example, how many people go up to talk to that panelist afterwards, you're just slowly but surely trying to make yourself stand out. So yeah, printed materials on nice cardstock or handwritten thank you notes, if that's appropriate. If there's a chance to do that, I would do it. I think it's just another way to stand out. Again, all these things add up. And yes, you have your 10 minutes, like you say, in front of somebody, but then the leave behinds are different. Every little encounter with you, whether it's a, something in writing or, or whether it's how, they, how you greet them at the pre-interview dinner, all those things start to add up. And, and the more you can make yourself stand out from others, even in those little ways, just wearing a different color tie. If it's not noticed by the end of the night, find a way to say it, you know, work it into conversation. Oh, I even wore my, you know, you don't have to say, look at how thorough I am or, you know, look at how, look at how detail oriented I am. Not like that, but you know, you're, you're interviewing for the program. So find a way to, to show off what you've done in those ways. And little by little, you'll, you'll start to stand out. And I think that would be the main thing. Okay. So so far, what you've told us for your preparation, your interview prep, is you are researching the people involved and figuring out whatever you can to work into conversation. You're working on the small details, whether it's printing your resume on special cardstock or whether it's picking the attire, which is all, again, important for the medical residency interview, too. What else? What about the meat of the interview? How are you preparing your answers for any curveball questions they might ask? How do you go about preparing for that? That's a good question. My preparation for the meat of the interview revolves around prepared stories to tell. What I try to do is have, I think the, I think the magic number is four to five. You don't really want to have less than that. I'd say four to five stories to tell. That could be life stories. That could be, you know, in, in your case, r- research or 
uh, you know, the things that are related to, to med school and whatnot. In my case, it could be examples of things I've done at other jobs, but have four to five stories to tell, not always positive, uh, but just take, take some time to think about instances in your life that have shaped you in some way, whether it's you as a person, whether it's you as a candidate, in my case, whether it's me as a salesperson, whether it's me as a manager, that kind of thing. So I guess the best way would be maybe to give you some examples on my side so you can see what I mean. This is to help fill in the blanks around the stuff on paper, your board score, your resume, where you've gone to school, that kind of stuff. Part of it is to humanize you, but it's also to talk about your capabilities as a candidate, right? And why you belong at that program. And in my case, why I belong with that team or at that job. So here are a few examples of stories that I have ready to go. One is about getting laid off by the Patriots. That's, that's what happened back at the end of 2008 during the financial crisis. Tom Brady had torn his ACL. Playoffs weren't looking likely. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the world was in a tough spot. And my position was identified as one that could be eliminated. That's what, that's, that's what I was told. That story is an important one to me because it shaped my character a lot. It shaped my, my drive. It shaped my ability to battle through adversity, to be resourceful. And having that story and how I came through on the other side and stuck with a competitive industry and was, was able to, to continue, that's a story that can be used for a multitude of different questions that can come up in an interview. Another one, and again, that's a negative, right? That's not necessarily a, a, a bright spot in, in, in my life. Right. But I think all the more reason why that's such a valuable story to have, because honestly, a lot of interviews throw somewhere in the mix your biggest challenge or a failure. And that's something that catches a lot of people off guard. And that's why I think it's good to have four to five stories Four two five, not 45. I might've said that too quick with the Boston and me coming out, but four to five stories because you won't get caught off guard. Another story of mine was a conversation I had with my boss at the Eagles. I was there for four years. And at one point he gave me some feedback that I was coming to him when a uh, business problem would emerge and asking him, what do I do? At that point in my career, I was so thirsty for a mentor. I wanted to learn from an industry veteran. I wanted to learn from somebody that had been there and done that. And I was so excited about that at the Eagles because my boss was one of those guys. And I would go into him and just ask, okay, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? And finally, he told me, I don't like that. He said, I would rather you come in and say, here's the problem. I've thought it through. Here's my suggested solution. What do you think? Right. So that's an example about me in the sports industry. But what I, what I want, how, how I want that to relate to you guys is that's also a bit of a negative story, but it shows some self-awareness. It shows a, maybe a weakness at, at a time in, in my career. And that is one of those instances in my life that it's not on a resume. It's not on my LinkedIn page. But that moment, that conversation with my boss was formative 
in the development of my career because he was absolutely right. And I had that in me to take that approach. I had the experience. I had already worked for the Patriots. I had worked for the Rockets. I had been in the industry for long enough that I knew what I was talking about, yet I was still going to him and saying, tell me what to do. So that's maybe a little too specific, but that's another story that I have kind of in the arsenal. You know, I every time I see a parallel to the medical field, I feel like I just have to point it out. So, you know, that's a great example of what we call graduated responsibility in medical training, you know, specifically where I am in residency right now, but even as a third year and then fourth year medical student, you're given more responsibility and the conversation in your mind has to change from asking what what the management plan is for a patient to this is what I think based on what I'm learning now I would do if I was, you know, in that situation. So it's just kind of a nice parallel. I felt like I had. That's, I love that there's that, that parallel. So some of your listeners may have similar stories to that, but again, not to be too specific about any of, any of my stories or how they relate. It's more about just having they're not canned answers, right? They are, they are experiences that you've had. You know your own stories. You don't have to think about what to say. But again, it's about showing, not telling. When an interviewer asks you a question, really what they're trying to see is, can you battle through adversity? Can you take a negative and turn it into a positive? Do you have the capacity to make tough decisions or or? improve yourself, right? That's what they're trying to figure out. And oftentimes stories are the best way to do that. And you can prepare those ahead of time easily because you've lived through them yourself. Right. So just a logistical question. Do you, are you actually scripting out these answers? Do you kind of have bullet points of the main points you want to get across? That's a good question. I have bullet points. So they're easy to reference. And again, preparing the story makes it easy because you can look at two words. For example, the bullet point might say laid off. That's my reminder that I want to cover that story because it shows the interviewers how I was able to battle through adversity as an example, or how I was able to be resourceful, make the best out of a situation, that kind of thing, right? So I know the story and in your, your listeners, if you prepare it and if you think about those formative instances and experiences in your life, they could be from anything. You don't need it scripted. You know the story. All you need is a bullet point so that when they ask you a question and you get stuck, you can glance down at your four to five bullet points and grab one of them, right? Grab one of them and answer with that. And I think the bullet point, you don't want to hesitate too much if you're stuck or stumped on a question. And that, that will help you if you just have a new bullet point form. So I, I kind of like that you just gave us two negative examples because those are often the harder ones to come up with. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. It's easy to come up with a positive story. And you should have, of course, a few of those in the repertoire as well because you'll want to talk about those. Just think of it as the story is what shows it, right? The story is what shows the qualities they're looking for. Rather than just come out and saying, I'm detail-oriented, tell a story that, that shows that instead. Right. No, I really like that. I mean, it's so, it's so versatile once you're actually in the interview room. I mean, it's, a, it's more work on the front end because, you know, reflective work where you actually have to 
think about these things and spend some time with yourself and really figure out these for formative ex uh, experiences. But then once you have them, they're so versatile. And honestly, like I mentioned, in this situation of applying to residency, you could be interviewing three times a week at three different programs across the country for four or more weeks. So these things come up all the time. You, you get into a groove, you know what's coming. So again, having these few stories to lean on is huge. Okay, so you just gave us some great advice for preparing for the interview. Now let's move and shift focus to the actual interview day itself. Even the, the mechanics of it, the logistics, you know, waking up, walking into the interview room, anything you can say about, about the interview day now? It goes without saying, give yourself a ton of buffer time. I'm saying it though, because it's crucially important. There was one time I was five minutes late to an interview. I would not hire me after that. Get plenty of sleep. All, all that stuff that you hear about is, is, is stuff that I, I definitely stick to before, before a big interview or sometimes in my case, my job now before a big uh, business pitch or something like that, it's all kind of the same. And in terms of walking into the room or even the, the building, oftentimes for me, I'm encountering some sort of receptionist when I first get to, to a place. I, I smile a lot. I think you can get pretty far in life with a smile. I think it, it puts the person on the other side at ease. I start right then and there with the receptionist. I kind of goes back to the networking. You never know. I strike up conversations. If I'm sitting in a waiting room, I'm trying to talk to people that, that work there. Uh, I don't want to sound calculated. That's not why I do it, but if the interviewer walks into the lobby to grab you and you're, you happen to be standing there having a conversation with the receptionist and it looks like you guys are having a good time and you're smiling, that's your first impression with the interviewer. And again, it, it's not why I do it. I, I don't do that for the show. It's just, um, it's just kind of how I am. Um, but be positive. I would recommend smiling as when you, when you walk into a room, I would recommend that. I do think it's important to mirror the expression of the person that you're encountering, get on their page. If they seem like really serious, I think it could be okay to do that back to them. When you shake their hand, if they're not smiling too, then they might even connect with you more or respect you more if you give them a handshake and, and have a stern look on your face. It's not necessarily what I would recommend, but it's funny how you ask this. I haven't really thought about this stuff. I'm just in my head. No, this is perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's so, yeah. it's so funny to hear you say this. Obviously we're brothers and I have the same exact approach. I have nothing to add to everything you just said. Oh, that's funny. Raised by the same parents or something. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it must be, it must be. Yeah. But, but that it, I'm glad you're asking about that though, because you hear about first impressions being so important that, that the entry, the, the, the handshake. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all standard stuff. Firm handshake, not too firm. All, all that stuff that you probably already know to do. I, I think smiling is, is, is good though. I think it's important. I think it, it, it humanizes you. Like we talked about before uh, you want to connect with those people. They've had, th think about them. They've probably had a long day too. If they're doing a bunch of interviews you want to stand out, a smile can't hurt, I don't think. Right. And honestly, 
even if you're nervous and you know feeling stiff during the interview day it really does help to lighten the mood and it makes the interviewer's job a little more you know enjoyable that day and it and it can kind of give you that edge in that respect yeah the nervous thing you asked before about having courage at a conference I understand if you are the type of per- or have the type of personality where that's how you feel. Do you have some nerves? You have some anxiety. Uh, that's where the preparation is key. Like we talked about, you can, you can alleviate a lot of that. Maybe not all of it. I and mean, these are like you say, high stakes and stressful times, but the better you're prepared and that's work, right? But look, if you're going to get that position, if you're going to get into that program, if you're not doing the work, then you probably don't deserve it. Right. And, that's where the preparation ahead of time will help with some of that anxiety. If you can go in knowing that you have your stories lined up, you have your questions lined up, you get your, everything's all set, then, then that, that'll help too. And you can walk in with a smile on your face because of it. Do you try to pause after you get a question from an interviewer? I mean, is that something you think about? Do you try to make yourself pause before giving the answer? Is that ever something you do? I don't think I do that knowingly or on purpose, but if you can train yourself to do that, I think that's a good thing. And I, I also don't think that the interviewers would, would notice. It might seem like a long pause to you, but if anything, it helps you collect your thoughts, show your poise, again, show, don't tell, right? And I, I think having pauses here and there, even if they notice, that doesn't hurt at all. It, yeah, if you can train yourself to do that, that's great. I, I, I don't, though. Okay. Yeah. For me, as someone who is quick to, you know, open my mouth and do a lot of ums and likes and, you know, these types of things that just don't sound as professional in an interview, it has been helpful for me to really try to focus on that pause to collect myself. It, it's just a small tip. You know, you seem to have good self-awareness about that for you. You say, um, or you, you, you need the pause. It helps you the self-awareness thing is, is really valuable. If, if you know that you have a tendency um, to say, I just said, um, if you know, have it, if you know, you have a tendency to say, um, or speak too quickly, that that's very valuable. And that may mean asking friends, roommates, family for feedback. Right. So actually a lot of med schools offer mock residency interviews for you to practice with, an experienced interviewer who can give you feedback. It's a really nice option, whether it's videotaped or not. I mean, I did that right before getting into the full swing of my interview season, and it was extremely helpful. I mean, to hear some of the very specific points of feedback that I received, um, it was it was hugely helpful for me. Well, that's a no-brainer resource to use then. If anybody doesn't have access to something like that, it could even just be uh, try to get into the habit, putting in your notes on the bottom of the page, ask for feedback. Just ask. Um, That's not something we always think about. If you are practicing or if you are talking, maybe even just walk walk over to your roommate and say, do you have any feedback for me on how I talk? I mean, the more info you can get about yourself, it'll help. And uh, yeah asking for just asking getting into the process of asking for that feedback will will help you out for things like that and help you be more self-aware like it sounds like you are so moving on to that last part of the interview that you know is coming 
where they ask you if you have any questions for them? How do you approach it? I hope this goes without saying, but you have to have questions. Do not say no. I think we covered everything. That's one. Number two, probably a good takeaway is don't ask anything that you can find on Google. I'm sure some of you have heard that before. Very true. I live by it. But the meat of this, the, the real important part comes down to, again, show, don't tell. And your questions, every little part of the interview is a chance to do this, your questions especially. This comes back to preparedness. How you phrase a question and the information that you include in the question can show, not tell, right, but show how thorough you are and detail-oriented you are and all those traits that you want to show. Whatever is important to the interviewer, you're going to be able to show it with a question. Ask about specific news that you've read about the program and how that relates to the culture there. Maybe there's an interviewer that you read about a certain project that they did or an accomplishment that they had. Phrase your question in a way that includes that, and they'll notice it's another way to stand out. You have 10 minutes with those people. It's just a good way to show that you're prepared, to show that you're resourceful, to show that you did all that homework beforehand. Yeah, I love that. I did that all the time, uh, knowing who I would be interviewing with and preparing questions for those people. If for, So I can, again, only speak to dermatology, but there are subspecialties within dermatology. So when I was interviewing with the surgical folks, and you know you're going to interview usually you know, within these subspecialties, ask them a question about the surgery education you're going to get. Or then you go to the uh, pediatric folks, whether it's pediatric orthopedics, pediatric dermatology, and ask them something that specifically relates to what they do. I think that can be hugely helpful to your point. So everything you just said makes complete sense about preparing for questions and having those you know, ready for individual interviewers. What happens next, though? You know, there, for me, at least, I remember there always being just a little more time, a little more time to, to fill the space, whether they ask, do you have any other questions, even after you've exhausted what you had ready, or whether they say something like, you know, anything else you want to tell us? How do you approach that part of the interview? I may sound like I'm trying to be an overachiever here, but I try to not run out of questions. I tried to have and prepare so many questions that we could not possibly get to all of them during the interview time allotted. I mentioned before typing out notes, letting the interviewer see them as you open up your notebook, that kind of thing. There have been times in interviews where I know we're getting up against the allotted time. And also, I think it's good to acknowledge that, that you're respectful of their time and I've paused interviews at times to say, I've actually held up a printed piece of paper with a bunch of questions on it and said, we've covered a lot. You guys have been very gracious with your time. We've answered a bunch of things. I still have all these questions and I literally have shown them the piece of paper, but I know we only have five more minutes. How do you want to handle? And I'll throw it back on them. Should I keep, should I keep going? Or maybe we could continue this you know, another time. I try to be respectful of their time, but I, I, I try to have more questions than is, is possible to answer. 
but real questions too, not just some words on a piece of paper that look like a prop. Because if they say, no, you know what? We don't have anything else for another hour. Let's ask away. Then <laughs> I got to have questions ready that are real questions. So it's all part of the preparation. Have a ton, a ton of questions. So what if actually the way they end it is by asking, is there anything you feel like you weren't able to share with us yet? Great question. This is another example of where having your stories in bullet point form could come in handy. I've been in interviews before where I only covered three of the four that I had. And in that exact moment where they ask if there's anything else I wanted to cover, I've gone to that fourth or fifth story to fill that time. And, and honestly, it's, it's not just about filling time. It's about conveying what you want to convey in the interview. It's about making yourself stand out. There have been interviews where I actually said, you know what, there's one other thing I wanted to share that we didn't get to cover. You don't have to wait for them to give you the floor. Use any extra time to your advantage if there's other things that you want to cover as well. And again, having stories in bullet point form, it, you don't have to limit it to four or five. I've found that that number works for me and, and we typically are able to cover them in an interview. But if you want to have eight, nine or 10, there's no magic number. It's whatever works for you. But having those instances that you want to share in bullet point form in your notes will help you fill any of that time at the end if it's appropriate. I really like that. I've received almost identical advice uh, to that point. Just said a little bit differently, I was told have bullet points of things that you must get across in an interview. Your brand, if you will, you, what you bring to the table. Have those in bullet, point, uh, in bullet points and make sure that they've all been hit so that when that time comes at the end of the interview, if there's one or two that haven't been hit, that's when you jump in with, there's just a couple more points I, I just want to make here. Yeah. And it might be a little awkward if there's not a natural opportunity that they give you to share those thoughts, but this is your chance. You shouldn't be afraid to share what you need to convey. Right. Exactly. So wrapping up the interview, you kind of already mentioned thank you notes. You tend to like written thank you notes. I personally mostly just emailed mine because of the nature of, of my interviews in dermatology. Anything else you want to say about communicating with the employer after the interview's over? I could only speak to what I know and what's appropriate in our industry. It's similar to networking in that I follow up politely I follow up with something smart or something relevant to them. I think that the follow-up is another way for you to stand out. I think many candidates are sending an email, maybe a handwritten note that says, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed getting to know you and I can't wait to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Maybe you'll drop in a little quip about something that you connected with them on, right? But for the most part, I bet a lot of follow-up thank you emails or notes read very similarly. That could be another chance to stand out if you follow up with, 
an article, a news item, some, something relevant to the conversation, something relevant to that person, and maybe what you've learned about them in an interview or something about the program, relevant update, current event, that kind of thing that you can incorporate into your follow-up to show that you are adding value to them. Just like we talked about with networking, the more you can make it about them will help you stand out. That's a great point and a great approach to sending the thank you note, you know, having it be more than just a blanket statement of thank you for the great day. I learned a lot, etc. I will say there are some rules about post interview communication uh, in terms of residency application, but I think everything you just said is completely not only allowed, but you know, encouraged for residency applicants. The trouble is when some people start to have conversations about, you know, I will rank you if you rank me, you know, those are the kinds of conversations that really are off limits. But everything you just said about really showing in your thank you note that you learned a lot about the program and that you're genuinely still interested in them. I mean, that's really all the interviewer wants to see. Well, this has been awesome, Dave. Thank you so much for doing this and for sharing your experiences with the students listening in. Uh, You come from a very different background than a lot of us do, but I mean, we have a lot of parallels as we've seen just throughout this interview. Uh, Before we sign off, is there anything else you want to put out there for the med students listening? I think we covered a lot. Nothing really new to add. Just to recap, when it comes to networking, just get out and be active. When it comes to interviewing, think about showing, not telling, and standing out in any way you can. And preparation in both networking and interviewing will go a long way. Very well said. All right, big bro. Thank you so much for joining today. No, thank you. I am so humbled that you'd think I could be a resource or that my advice would help you guys at all. I hope it did. And if any of your listeners have any further questions or want to chat, please don't hesitate to share my contact information. All right. Thank you. We really appreciate that. And I can't wait to see you again soon. Give the family a big hug from me and the family down here in Houston. I will. Thanks, Dave. We'll talk soon. All right. See you soon. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. I hope you found this interview helpful as you approach your own interview season. I know my brother and I had so much fun recording and editing this interview. So if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts and spread the word about Road to Rank to anyone you know looking for advice on a successful residency match. Head on over to the website roadtorank.com where we're featuring a new blog, Pretty Exciting Stuff. And as always, you guys, feel free to reach out to me at any time with questions or feedback about the podcast. Just email steven at roadtorank.com. Thanks so much for joining, my friends. We'll see you next time.
God. <laughs> what is it? It's dad mowing the lawn. I told mom. <laughs> you should keep this. You should keep this in the podcast. No. <laughs> Put the video. Mowing the lawn. Please. Yes, please. That was like the main thing was not having noise. So thank you. That would be great. Thank you. Bye. Oh, poor mom. Now I'm being mean to mom, but oh well.